Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, choking here. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you've joined me for today's show. So here we're going to do something a little bit different today, and it's based on a fantastic question from a really, really, really insightful mom who asked me this. She said, what if your just-turned-three-year-old boy is into cars, trucks, and buses? And here's the great thing, because that's pretty common, and a lot of times therapists and parents will email me and say, you know, I have a kid who loves this. And we have just worn out every single new idea that I could come up with. What would you do? And so I'll just respond and shoot off whatever's, you know, on the top of my head with ideas that I use or things that I've seen that look really cute or different or maybe just tweaked a little bit based on something they said in their email. But here's what this mom did. She took it a step further, and I just loved it because it's something that we've never discussed before on the show that I can remember, and this show has been going on its ninth year. I cannot believe it. Uh, lots and lots and lots of shows, but I don't think we've ever done this. So when I get a new topic, I'm really, really excited. So she says, how does pretend play look for a child with normal language development? And then what would it look like for a child with a language delay and then with possible autism? So I just thought those were fantastic questions and great things for us to really dive into here on the podcast. So today let's talk about the differences in play between those or among those three different types of kids and then we're going to finish up with my top 10 play ideas for cars because that's a pretty common uh, preference that lots of our little friends have, so I want to give you some new ideas if you're thinking, man, I just there's I can't crash the car into another car one more time. I mean, I've just had it with that. I need something new. So that's what we'll do at the end of the show. So let's start, though, by taking this theme of playing with cars, and let's start with a typically developing child, because I think that's what our foundation should be for every kid that we are looking at and analyzing and you know parents aren't in the same position uh, with their experience as as we are as therapists you know therapists can look at years of children and say oh this this kid did this or uh, children who have this set of characteristics usually play like this and that's what a diagnosis is a set of characteristics and so we're kind of used to doing this but I can just totally relate to this mom's question in saying, and especially if she's really early in the diagnostic process and she's trying to figure out, okay, is this just a language delay? Is this possible autism? How would I know by looking at his play? Is there something that I can see at home? And so if parents don't have other children, if they're not around lots of other children, if they don't really have, um, let's see, how shall I say this? Let's, let's, we know that quirks in families and deficits in families, delays, can be genetic. So I've met families that I've seen the first child and then I've seen the second child and then I've seen the third child. I had one family one time that I worked with years and years ago that they were, I was seeing the seventh child and there was an eighth one. <laughs> And his older brothers and sisters, mom said, had never had speech therapy, but I thought mm, they probably needed it just based on their conversational skills with me and as I observed their interest and watched how they played together and alone, I thought, hmm, you know, I'm glad they have this little guy in therapy, but I bet that they've missed milder issues in their older children. So I can see how a mom may not even really have day-to-day -day access to a child who's typically developing. So let's just take that first. So she said her child has just turned three. So let's look at the characteristics of typically developing three-year-olds and how they play. So here's what happens. 
when a child makes that big leap to 36 months, that third birthday, so many things happen when we're looking at their maturation level. I mean, sometimes I just can't believe it. Let's say I'll see a kid up until he's three, and then I don't see him for you know, a while he's transitioning into school services and then I run into them later or maybe mom decides, hey, I'm going to supplement with some private services in addition to this school-based program. And so it might be a month or two before I see them. And again, this is, we're talking about kids with language delays as far as my experience goes and, and the stories that I'm relating right now. But there is a big, big maturation to make. So that's even multiplied when we're looking at children who are typically developing. So what are the kinds of things that they do? Well, first of all, they lengthen their play scenarios and they exhibit a lot more planning or pre-play planning or during play planning. And I bet if you're a therapist, you've seen this before. You're playing with a child, doing therapy. Parents are there. You're all just kind of talking. You're playing. And all of a sudden, the kid just jumps up runs out of the room and comes back with a toy or another object that fits so beautifully with what you're doing. And so what has he done? He's really demonstrated his cognitive skills. He remembered something, and then he acted on it. He's planning to play. And so that's what is, is the biggest hallmark and the biggest change that we'll see as a child moves um, in that 36 to 48 month range, so that three-year-old range, we'll, we'll see that. We'll see a lot more planning and a lot more preparation going into play and, and them adding uh, new objects and new elements. And the play gets longer because they have more things to do. And let's just take an example that I write about today in the post for this podcast. And remember, any show that you listen to, here on the podcast has a written post. So if you ever need a summary of it, or if you're thinking, man, I think she said that on a podcast a few weeks ago, I don't want to listen to the whole show, go check the post because you may be able to find that little piece of information that you're looking for. And I know a lot of therapists use the podcast as a big part of their parent education program, and they'll email the link to a parent and say, hey, this is what we were talking about today, or this is what I want you to look at before I see you guys this week. This is going to be what we're going to be doing. So you can certainly use that kind of resource in that way. So this is in the written post for today. It's the scenario, the play scenario here is a birthday party. So what would a three-year-old do? They're going to set up the party. And this is, you know, again, this is pretend play. So they may... Um, pretend they're baking the cake and, and kids can be at three they're still pretty tied to props and so you'll see a child either over in her pretend kitchen as she's bustling around you know you'll see her looking for her pans and stirring with a spoon and then maybe taking a plate or a little pan over to where she's designated is the table or the place where the party is about to happen. She may set the table or do something that lets you know that she's preparing for her guest. And then you may see her get up like she's going to go somewhere and bring an imaginary person into that party. Or she might, again, use a prop. So she might have some baby dolls or um, a bear or something else. And then you may hear her lapse into happy birthday or or pretend that she's opening gifts or one little girl that I remember who, who loved playing birthday party would yell out, thank you. And that's how I knew that she, in her mind, had opened a present that she really liked. And so she screamed that, that out. You might see a child who pretends to blow out the candles. Uh, so think about that. Let's look how we can take that kind of complex play scenario. And again, if you're a parent, you may not think that that's really, really complex. But for those of us who work in early intervention, oh my goodness, if we had a child demonstrating that kind of maturity and all of those object combinations and then they're bringing their language skills in and you can tell that their little cognitive skills are developing because they're using their imaginations, they're pretending, they're so symbolic you know, all the things that are happening in that situation. And again, you may not be able to appreciate that unless you've worked with children with delays for a long time. 
and it's such a good reminder for us always, always, always to use typical development as our hallmark or our basis of comparison. And, you know, previously I said, as a therapist, you've got years of experience and you think about other kids that you've had on your caseload from time to time and how they're like this one or like that one. And that's okay. We all do that. But we never, ever, ever need to forget that normal or typical development is our basis for comparison. And I learned this lesson in grad school. I was talking to my supervisor about, I think at that time I had three or four kids. It was one of my last semesters. So I was talking about the kids in clinic and I just commented, you know, oh, he's my little star. or He's my most advanced one. And she said, Laura, every kid that sees you has a reason to be here and you should not compare them to each other. You need to always keep in mind what your goal is and that's what the milestones are that children with typical development are displaying. So we have to really, really remember that and again, keep that in the back of our minds as the basis for comparison. So let's get back to this. Let's talk about what might happen with cars that a typically developing three-year-old would be playing with. So let's think about how can he string together several related events. He might have um, several cars that he's playing with and again, props, he may go get a garage, he might get some little house or something where he can park the car. He may come up with new endings for some, if he's played in a particular way with a car before. Um, and it may be just generic cars like little Hot Wheels or he might have those cool Disney cars that are Lightning McQueen and, you know, that next version of that movie is about to come out. So that's going to be huge. So dust off all your car toys you speech therapist out there who still takes some of your own materials or who kids come to your office, dust those out because those are about to be big, dust those off. That, that theme is about to be big again. Uh, but, but they may take something that they've done before and change it. And so let's say that a kid, let, let's do another context. Let's say that a kid pretends usually that um, he's going to the doctor and let's say that he pretends he's getting a shot, which is certainly a traumatic event for children and their moms sometimes. And so let's say that the kid always pretends that he cries or that when the doctor gives them a shot or when he gives the baby doll a shot, you know, there's some kind of crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth involved. But let's say on this day when you're watching him play, he just brings out a sucker or he pretends that there's a sucker there or a piece of candy or a sticker, whatever your pediatrician or health department would give a child. And so he's changed the ending. And so you can see how that's more complex. That's more difficult. And so that's something that we certainly see with play with typically developing three-year-olds. Another big thing that typically developing three-year-olds do is they begin role play or fantasy play. So with the car, it might be something like Lightning McQueen. You might hear them use some of the same scripts from um, the movies that they've watched or from a book that they've read. So if you have a character-based car, you might hear something like that. Or or the kid might be pretending to be Lightning McQueen himself. And so I've seen this happen a lot. You know, they'll play with a car rolling on the floor, and then they jump up, and it's like they've morphed into the car. And so that whole um, dramatic play, role play, fantasy play begins. When our daughter was three, you know, she had two older brothers, she loved to dress up in a race car driver outfit. I got it on the clearance aisle at Target after Halloween and you know she usually she was a Disney princess but for some reason she just really wanted this race car driver outfit and because she had brothers they just loved that she liked to play that way and so that was a big dominant theme of hers when she was three is, is really adding costumes and adding uh, her pretending to be a certain character. Other things that we see in play of typically developing three-year-olds would be that they build things or they sub and they substitute items during play. So for cars, you might see a child who really gets into construction and it might just be that he's using Legos or wooden blocks, but it could be that he's going and digging a box out of the recycling and he's making his own 
prop there if he can't find something suitable. So certainly we'll see more things like that. Let's talk about language as the typically developing three-year-old plays. They talk out loud, usually in short three to four word sentences as they play. They may also do some sound effects and some noises because that's a predominant uh, behavior that we see with children, oh gosh, on into elementary school. But you'll hear longer utterances too. Another thing that a typically developing three-year-old would do is start to use language to mediate or control the events. So you'll hear more narration and you'll hear more things like, you know, instead of just the sound that he's made for the car, he may say something like, stop, you're about to crash. And so you'll hear those kinds of more complex sentences with kids who are typically developing versus the other two kinds of children that we're going to talk about. Another thing that might happen with play with a typically developing three-year-old is they start to make their characters in play talk to each other. So one car might say to, to another car, you know, oh, let's race, let's go fast or something like that. Or um, there's some kind of dialogue going on. So that would be how play would look with a typically developing three-year-old. So let me say one more thing about this, though, before we move on. There's always variation in play according to temperament and setting and familiarity with who's listening. So let's talk about that for a minute. Kids who are quieter will naturally talk less during play than a kid who is naturally more chatty. So if you have a child who, again, at three, they should be using hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of words, uh, typically developing children. And so you may hear some of that rich, diverse vocabulary, or it could just be that they use some longer three or four or five word sentences, but um, they're just more reserved and they don't talk as often as a kid who's going to narrate every single thing he does. So again, that's kind of a personality difference along with um, still being well within the realm of a typically developing child. Let's talk about how kids might react to with an unfamiliar play partner. A lot of times kids will shut down, even typically developing kids. They just get shyer. They're just more reserved. If a kid really responds negatively to pressure, meaning that he feels like, oh, for some reason this lady is here to watch me and they're naturally more... Um, introspective than another three-year-old who could care less who's there, which is what we normally think about. But there are kids, again, that have some personality differences and kids who might be a little bit more perceptive or a little more cautious in what they would say in front of a, a really familiar person, say their mom or their dad or brother or sister, versus the therapist who's coming in or versus you know a new babysitter or a grandparent but seen in a long time. So keep those variances in mind too. There are kids, even at three though, who like to be the center of attention. <laughs> and I bet that if you're a therapist and if you've worked for a while and you've seen children in preschool or daycare settings and you are going in to see one child in a classroom with children, there are always one or two who want to monopolize your attention. And they're typically chatty kids they're usually, uh, again, super, super social, and so those kids may talk more in an attempt to pull you in. And, again, they get that whole social connected piece. They want to be the center of the universe all the time, and that's pretty normal, but we'll see a range of that as well, even among children who are typically developing. So that's kind of our our basis of comparison there. So we've talked about typical development. Now let's just look at a kid who has a language delay. So this would be a kid who does not have any other characteristics that we would typically associate with a child who is at risk for autism. So we won't see any repetitive movements like hand flapping or any other um, body movement or object movement that might call attention to itself. And again, we're sort of crossing over into what play would look like with a child who is at risk for autism. But a kid with a, a language delay 
we're just saying there's nothing going on other than he's not talking as well as other children his age or potentially he's not talking or understanding language as well as other children his age. So the main difference that we'll see with this group of kids, kids who just have a language delay versus typical development, is just the complexity and the maturity of the language will not be there. So what am I saying here? I'm saying all the great things that we've talked about with combining longer play scenarios, with planning, with using some of those new endings, with role play, fantasy play, substituting things, using some construction or building some props for their play, all of those things are not language dependent. So we would still see those wonderfully mature actions in play. And again, that's what would really differentiate a kid who has just what I call a straight language delay, meaning that his cognition is intact, he is thinking, he is learning, he is remembering, he is planning, he is doing all of those things, just like a typically developing kid. He just has a little more trouble talking. So that that would be, and so and because he has more difficulty communicating, you won't hear the same amount of words. The vocabulary may be less diverse. You may not hear. Uh, you may hear shorter utterances. So instead of you know, those three, four, five word sentences, he may still kind of be hanging back at single words or two word phrases. You'll hear more sound effects and play words, uh, play sounds. If you're on my email list, I think yesterday I sent out a post about play sounds and how important they are for lots of children with language development. But you may hear more sounds like that rather than lots and lots of words. But again, when we're looking at kind of comparing the play here, the play will look, the actions that the child is doing with the cars will look virtually the same because there should not be distinguishable differences with a kid who just has a language delay. Now, if he has some receptive language issues that are anything beyond just very, very mild, we will see some differences in those those play actions and the things that he's doing because receptive language is so closely tied to cognition in children who are um, under three. And because even though we're talking about three-year-olds, remember if a kid has a language delay, chronologically he's three, but developmentally he's younger than that. So we know that we can still really, really link cognitive development and receptive language development. So that's kind of how we'll know too, gosh, is this a more global kind of issue with with language, which also includes that cognitive piece because of that receptive language connection. So that may be something that would help you diagnostically if you're looking at a child and you say, well, you know, now his play is not what I thought I would see but it's not really, really repetitive or some of the things that we're going to talk about that kids like to do who um, are on the autism spectrum or kids who have red flags for autism. So, again, that might be uh, a real uh, contentious, contentious kind of point for you when you're talking to a parent about that, a parent who thinks, oh, my goodness, this is just an expressive language delay here. And that might be an example that you could use with the parent and say, and hopefully it's not going to be disagreeable like I just sort of alluded to, but you could say something like, you know, I'm not seeing all of the advancement with play that I would expect to see if this were just a language delay, if this were just a talking or expressive language problem. So that might be something that we can have some conversations with parents about and say, you know, here's what supports uh, my concern with your child's cognitive development because the, the best way that we really, really assess cognition in children is looking at their play and how the how uh, I've said the word complex over and over, but I can't think of a better word for that. The complexity of what they do. How is it moving along? Does it is he adding new parts to play? Is he bringing in more objects? Is he acting out more themes? Does he have some variation with how the play goes, or is it always the same old thing? And so, as a kid is turning three. That's certainly something that we want to look for. And as a therapist, it's certainly something we want to facilitate or, or teach or work directly on, too. 
So that, that would be the difference there. If we're looking at typical development versus language delay, the play motion should stay the same. It would just be the language that would be different. All right, so, and we talked a little bit about cognitive delay there too, and I didn't really include that in the written summary, but you know, it's there. So a kid who has a cognitive delay will have a language delay. <laughs> it just is part of it in that toddlerhood period or even in three, that early preschool period. So we would see those differences in play as well. Uh, and again, uh, even though that's not spelled out in the written summary, that's certainly something I want you to consider. All right, so now let's look at how play for a kid who has red flags for autism might look. So what are some things that would be different that we just discussed? So let's really compare it back to the typically developing three-year-old. Well, first of all, we probably won't see as much variety. And why would that be? That's because children who are on the spectrum really like sameness. They have difficulty with flexibility. So you might see, like I said before, the same theme repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Now, some kids, when you're playing with them like this, and you try to introduce something that's new because you're working on that flexibility piece, they may really get mad when you try to disrupt their well-established play pattern. And so that certainly is one diagnostic marker that you could point to with play and say, mm, not really seeing the flexibility here. When someone tries to insert themselves or insert a new idea that he didn't come up with, that really sets them off. And so that might be something that we could, would be a real, real difference. Um, the maturity is not going to be there. The kid may still do lots of exploring with those cars and trucks. And what do I mean by that? Well, he just may sit and really look at them and hold them in one hand and then move to, them to the other hand and then back <laughs> to his other hand. Or he might do a lot of with or lining up or um, – Again, making patterns with the cars that, you know, he might have a, let's say he has 10 cars there, and he may want to get them all lined up and parked really parallel or all, all beside each other, whatever his little preferred pattern happens to be. We might see more of that. I've already mentioned repetitive play with the same themes, you know, meaning that he always pretends that he goes and gets the car gets gas and then it always parks. And then maybe with a kid who is super repetitive, then he might do that with the next 10 cars. And he's still doing things. He's still, you know, getting gas and parking. So he's got two little actions there, but it, he has to repeat it with all 10 cars. He can't add anything new after that. One big thing that we may see with play with a kid who's on the spectrum is just lots of self-stimulatory movement. So what might that look like? That might be a kid who gets right down on his stomach. He's laying on his belly, and, boy, he is watching those wheels on the car <laughs> move, and he is so into that, and he is just rolling that car back and forth. And sometimes parents really think about that as, oh, he's pretending and, you know, the, it, it, he's at the Indy 500, and he's just really doing all that. When, when And then when I look at it, I don't really see that at all. I see a kid who's really into the visual properties of watching those wheels spin. And so to me, it's a totally different event that's happening. And, and that can be a little tricky when you're talking to a parent about that. And you're saying, you know, you're assigning that whole play thing. You know, I haven't really heard him say Indy 500. <laughs> I haven't heard him say, I'm going to line up all of my cars right here and we're, I'm going to pretend that they're going around this track here, which is what you might hear. And again, I said it in much too long of a sentence as compared to a typically developing three-year-old. But let's say a three-year-old had just watched that race, which was over the Memorial Day weekend on TV with his family. And, and that we see that a lot, even with kids with language delays and certainly with kids with autism too. They like their movies and their TV shows, so the next few days you'll see them try to act it out. But the kid would really, really talk about it, and so you would know that that's what he's doing. And a kid who's on the spectrum who's not verbal yet, so not echolalic or not scripting, may just be laying there doing that self-stimulatory thing, and, it's, again, his parents are assigning a whole new set of 
potential imaginative things that are happening that aren't really happening. So look for anything like that that's that's repetitive or self-stimulatory and really talk to parents about that and what that means diagnostically. Um, the social piece for kids with autism, you know, one of the core deficits of autism is a lack of social engagement or disinterest or self-isolation. So a lot of times play is pretty solitary for a kid like that. And again, I've already mentioned it, but they may get mad when you try to join in. They may either turn their backs to you, which is actually kind of a good sign because they're letting you know, I can externally shut you out. I'm going to do this with my body language here. And then, you know, no mistaken terms. I don't want you messing with me while I play with my cars. Or it could just be that it's more internal, that no matter how in that kid's face you are, he's still not including you. He's still not letting you be a part of that. You know, today I was writing some things about joint attention. I'm trying to get the podcast series that I did last year, the 11 skills that a child must master before words emerge. I cannot tell you how many people have emailed me and said, where is the written material to go along with this? Where is the book? So um, I'm working on that now. And I was writing about joint attention, and that's really, really what I'm talking about here. A kid who is just so hyper-focused on what he's doing that he really does not notice that you are there. And we can get so fooled as parents and even as therapists sometimes by a child who is so engaged in play and then he doesn't do anything when we try to join in and so he just kind of tolerates his thing there but really it's not even that he doesn't even he's not even really that aware of it and so we think we've got this joint attention going and we think that he's letting us participate in play but then when we stand back and take a more objective look we are the same as you know, another piece of furniture in the room, the lamp that's sitting right there. He pays us about as much attention while he's playing as he does the lamp. Now, we may be sitting there narrating what he's doing, and we just feel fantastic about the quality language models that that child is hearing. <laughs> but at the same time, there's no evidence that he even cares that we're there. He's not looking at us. He's not responding when we're asking him something. He's not imitating any of our words. He doesn't share a toy with us, like he doesn't give us a toy to take a turn, anything like that. So really look at that, and that would be a big-time marker for a kid who is at risk for autism is how well does he socially engage and play. And let me just tell you, I've worked with children who are on the spectrum, who have a decent amount of early play skills. And so if you had not already reviewed all of the wonderful things that a typically developing three-year-old could do, you might look at this little fellow who's on the spectrum and think, well, gosh, he's doing pretty well. He crashed those cars, and then he made them all drive, and they went over to the Fisher-Price playground, and then he actually put a car in the swing and pushed the car, and then he let the car get out. You know, and you would think, oh, golly, he's doing great, and he is, but at the same time, you just don't see the maturation level and the kid bringing in, you know, even more props and new endings and doing the object substitution and doing the constructive play. You know, let's say a kid might need less props who's typically developing, and the, the kid who's on the spectrum needs it to be more concrete because he's not quite as symbolic yet. So look for those differences. Another thing that we might see, and I've already touched on it, but let me say it again, a kid may fixate on a certain play routine or certain play action. And again, this is so similar to a self-stimulatory action, but let's say a kid has a toy that he loves, uh, and it, let's say it's a new car. And it, the doors open on the car, and the doors have never opened on any of his other little Hot Wheels or Matchbox cars. So this is fascinating. Well, the typically the kid may do that a fair number of times and then move on. But the kid who is on the spectrum or who has red flags will do it, I mean, to the point that if you have just watched him for five minutes, you will say, oh, my goodness, that's about all he did in that, that time frame. But the typically developing kid has probably had moved on by that point. So look for the, that kind of fixation there as well. 
there's less tree pretending, and I just mentioned that. Children may not have the diversity with their props, and again, the prop may have to be pretty concrete and pretty realistic, meaning that if the kid is pretending that he's going to, or let's say his play theme is parking the cars, he needs something that looks like a real, more of a real garage versus a kid who is a little bit more symbolic and who's pretending a little better may go grab a shoebox and just be fine with that. And so, again, that difference in the abstract thinking versus a kid who needs it all to be a little bit more realistic. And we'll see those differences as kids get older, and that may not be as prevalent if we're talking about uh, newly turned three-year-olds as it would say if a kid is four or certainly five we see a lot more true pretending and that children, you know, will tell you, you know, gosh, this piece of grass is the hose for the gas or if we're talking about cars or, you know, something where you think, man, that's pretty smart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, some, that's some fancy substitution there. I don't know if I would have thought of that. So you'll see that, especially if the kid gets older. And so if we're looking at a kid who's just turned three, he's on the spectrum, we may not see very much pending at all. It's He's still manipulating. He's still driving the cars. But at the same time, you don't see things that make you go, wow, that that's that's pretty smart. That That's pretty good. All right, let's look at the language piece for a kid who's on the spectrum who's playing with cars, certainly if there's a significant language delay, we're not going to hear as many words. That kind of goes without saying. Um, but a lot of times kids who are already verbal, who are on the spectrum, tend to be a little bit more echolalic, especially while they play. And so while a typically developing kid may repeat a line or two from a movie, a kid with autism may quote, you know, the first 10 minutes. <laughs> and certainly a kid who's watched that movie over and over and over and over, you may hear next to no spontaneous language, and but it can really fool you. If you don't know what he's echoing, you may sit and just be completely amazed at what he's saying, and then you realize he doesn't understand that at all. That's really, really scripted. He has just totally lifted that whole dialogue here, and, and that's what echolalia is. And again, echolalia is not always a bad sign. That means that a kid who's on the spectrum will be verbal. There is a lot to be excited about with a kid who's echolalic because they understand how to talk. If you can get the right sounds in the right places, they may be pretty darn intelligible. A lot of times I'll hear kids that I'll think, oh, my goodness, this is just jargon. I don't know what this is. And then when their sound system or their speech skills mature and they start, you know, consonants emerge <laughs> or I'm hearing some, you know, differentiation in their, their you know, beginning sounds and maybe they're including some final consonants now and I'll think, I'll be darned, he's echolalic and I thought this was jargon. I thought this was you know, just something unintelligible. And then I realized, man, that's, you know, this is the show that he's quoting or he's, he's saying a book, told me he likes this book and I can recognize the cadence of the book and I can recognize the words. Some of the words are clearer to me now because I can understand what he's saying. And so, again, you're, you'll have to really sort of tease that out. Uh, but But for kids who are verbal who are on the spectrum, that's another dead giveaway is that most of their language when they're playing is not spontaneous. Now, that will emerge, and we that's certainly a goal of ours. And if we have children who are echolalic, we can certainly move them toward more spontaneous language, bridging with the words and the little keywords and key phrases that they use. And that's an excellent way to do it, and I've done that with a lot of little friends. So don't just look at something as completely um, pathological in that, oh, it's echolalia, it's terrible, we'll never be able to use this. That's just not true at all. It's actually a pretty good foundation. And so you'll be able to pick some words that you, you'll use. And play is a wonderful time to do that because sometimes I think then, um, you know, the kid has 
the concrete representation of what you're talking about right there. So if you're saying car, the car is there. <laughs> it's not just something that we're talking about in conversation, which is a lot of times what echolalia really is. They've heard something. It's triggered a memory of a previous conversation that they've heard or a previous dialogue, and they you know, run the tape, <laughs> as we uh, would think about when we all used uh, VCRs and you know, had VHS. And so, you know, that's kind of what I would call it, you know, play the tape, let's run the tape, because that's exactly what it would be. And so, so many times, it, a kid's echolalic responses may be loosely related to what you're doing, but you can't really figure it out because you don't, unless you're just right there at the beginning and, and know this kid super, super, super well, you don't have a point of reference. And so, when you're playing with a set of toys, that's really similar to one of their preferred movies or books or whatever, it's actually a fabulous time to make all of those echolalic utterances more functional because you can act out what the kid is saying or make it a lot more related than it would be. All right, so those were the, the comparisons between or among kids with typically developing language skills. If we're looking at their play, typically developing kids, Versus kids with a language delay, and again, remember what we said about that, play is very similar to those with kids with typical development if there's not a cognitive component involved in their delay. Play is super similar, so we'll see all of that, all those really advanced actions and, you know, new play skills. And then our kids with autism or who are at risk for autism, you know, flexibility won't be as as great. We might see some repetitive uh, movements or some self-stimulatory movements. Um, we may see stems. We didn't talk about this, just, you know, body movements. A kid might get so excited when he's playing with those cars that he flaps his little hands or rocks or does something with his little body that you can identify it if you're a careful observer so that you can see those uh, repetitive body movements. And again, you may not have really noticed that. And typically developing kids, you're not going to see evidence of that at all. So uh, less tree pretending, and certainly kids who are on the spectrum will have differences in the language that they use when they're playing, so that if they are echolalic, we'll probably hear some of that. Or if there's a severe language delay across the board, you'll see that when they play too. So I hope that that mom who emailed me that, and I could not find her email, uh, her original email, I had just copied it and put it into a little folder, you know, potential podcast, and I didn't save her contact information. So hopefully that mom is listening, and that will help her uh, solve whatever problem or confusion that she had coming up or that she had, um, you know, that made her think, gosh, I wonder how it should look, how how would a kid who's not struggling with the issues that my child is struggling with, how would their play look? So hopefully that answered her questions. All right, let's move on for the last few minutes of the show. And I want to give you my top 10 play ideas with cars. And again, this is such a repeated theme that every few months, or sometimes it's even closer than that, somebody will email me and say, you know, what I said at the beginning of the show, I really need some new ideas to play with cars. <laughs> I'm really getting bored. Or this kid loves cars and I want to keep using them because I'm hearing things, but man, I got to change it up a little bit to make it more exciting and fresh, not only for the kid, but for me. <laughs> so let's talk about some different things to do with cars. Okay. My Number one thing that I have done in the last couple of years that I have never played with before is a clear plastic tube. Now, you can buy that at a home improvement store like Lowe's or Home Depot. I'm not sure they would have that in a store like uh, Walmart or Target because I don't think that their uh, building supply section or their, that inventory would be a stock. But go to Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that. The tube that I have is about three feet long, and it's clear, and it has uh, stoppers or closures on both ends, but I just take them out. And what I've done with cars is with this is just um, get a small enough car so that it rolls completely through the tube. And kids have been fascinated with this, and I've used it with kids who have pretty significant issues, and so we're working on cognitive skills like 
cause and effect and problem solving and object permanence. And kids have liked kids at that level have liked it all the way up to kids who I'm just working on really mild issues, which I don't really see very many kids like that anymore. All the kids that I see are hard and they've already seen somebody else. Um, but it, it's been really, it's appealed to a, a wide variety of children. Brothers and sisters have liked this. Moms and dads have, you know, asked me, where'd you get that? What What's that? And I've said, you know, gosh, it's just a $3 plastic tube that I got on the lighting aisle at Lowe's. And so it's been a lot of fun. And again, you can you don't have to just do it with cars. I put balls in there all the time and uh, farm animals that are small enough to do it, a little uh, sea animals, you know, I have some little fish that I've put in there before. But a fun, fun idea for kids, and it's pretty novel because they probably haven't had that experience before, so it's been a winner. The idea that I do, that's my favorite idea right now. I'm sort of trying to do these in order. I probably should have done them the other way where it's kind of a countdown, but I, I like it this way too. The idea that I use most often though, my go-to car idea is just make a ramp and roll the cars down the ramp. Now you can be really fancy and get something, <laughs> a piece of wood or some other um I saw on Pinterest a long time ago where somebody had taken one of those uh, pool tubes, uh, the styrofoam. I'm, there's a name for that, and I'm having some word-finding difficulties here at 5.30 on a Thursday afternoon. But those those styrofoam rod-looking things that you have in the pool, I can't believe I can't come up with that word, but they cut it, cut it in half, and you could roll cars, if you had small enough cars, down the center piece that's open like the tunnel so that that would be a good ramp too but I really just uh, have the cardboard book if it's big enough and just prop it up against you know my knee or the leg of a table or a chair that's there and then just let it roll down another thing I do with those cardboard books is make a tunnel and so the pages you know you can't do it with a paper book but certainly with a cardboard book the pages will stay open, and so you can pretend that it's a tunnel, and a lot of kids like that with cars. Another really fun thing to do, and especially since it's summertime here in the States, uh, is to do a car wash. And some kids will not have enough life experience to know about a car wash. (laughs) Maybe they're never with their parents if they go through one, or maybe they live in a city and just, you know, parents don't even have a car or don't drive very often, so you don't. Uh, use your car every day like those of us who live out in the country in suburbia do, but a car wash or even saying a bath, you know, let's give the cars a bath. Anytime we can have water play and then add something different and see that the kids probably haven't put cars in the water. Now, maybe they have. Maybe their moms have just let them be, you know, a free-for-all and bathtub and they've done that before, but a lot of kids haven't done that. Their parents just haven't used cars in the bathtub. They've used boats or animals or balls or, you know, other things. And so it it might be just novel enough for a kid to like it. And I think, you know, what toddler, what two or three-year-old can turn down playing with water? So that's certainly something that you can try. And you can do it with bubbles or without. Lots of variations you could do, you know, a lot of water or hardly any water. You can really kind of mix it up with that too. Another really fun thing to do with cars is with paint. And a lot of times I'll think, oh, I'm going to be so creative and I have my white paper and I have three or four different colors of paint and I'm, I'm just going to take this kid, to, this kid who's obsessed with cars and we're just going to make tracks and I'm just going to have all kinds of wonderful language opportunities here and then what does he want to do? He just wants to finger paint on the paper and kind of leaves the car out of it. And you know that's okay too because we can really work on language you know, anytime with any material but it is kind of funny when we go to the links to plan something really that we think is super exciting and a kid just boils it down to the most basic level and you think, why try? Just do something that I know is going to be fun without adding all the frou-frou. Um, and let me just mention one more thing about driving cars through paint. I've had good luck with this and also with making tracks with cars in Play-Doh with kids who were just self-stimulatory with cars and who are obsessed with you know, flicking the wheels, and they really don't want to do anything beyond that. You can barely get them to really crash it or drive the car. Adding that extra visual component, so driving the wheels through paint and then painting on the paper 
or, you know, again, like I said, making a real flat road with Play-Doh and then letting the kid watch as he drives his car across the Play-Doh and try to make it as long as you can. You know, (laughs) if you just make a little circle and you show him, you know, we're going to play with your car. Look, look, you're doing the same darn thing. You're just rolling it back and forth again on that little circle of Play-Doh. So make it long. You know, don't reinforce (laughs) an inflexible play pattern. Don't do it. So make sure that you are including enough uh, thought into what you're playing with so that, again, you don't you end up doing something that's more mature and a new play routine and a new action rather than the self-stimulatory little action that your friend was kind of stuck on. Another real fun thing to do that I think I've included in one of my therapy guides in playing with cars and trucks is to use a sensory box. And for this one, you might be better just using a cookie sheet that has a little edge on it and crumble up cookies or I've done Oreos so that it looks like dirt and actually I haven't done this just with cars I've mostly done it with construction equipment so little bulldozers and backhoes and tractors and again boy I'm you know sounding like my Kentucky roots here Uh, but that's fun for a lot of kids and again that's something new that they've not done before you don't want to be quite that messy and you know waste a whole pack of new cookies you could do something like rice or beans or sand. Any any little sensory material is going to be a lot of fun. I just like that idea of calling it dirt, and the kids that I used that with a couple of summers ago thought that was a blast. Another real fun thing to do, and this is the seventh idea, it's pretty simple, and I bet you've seen it on Pinterest or maybe you've even done it yourself, but just take some masking tape and make some little lanes for a racetrack on the floor. And that, again, that simple $2 idea can give you several sessions with lots of fun with kids. And so kids who, again, seem pretty stuck and just rolling the car back and forth, now you've given them another visual pattern to follow. So you may have a kid who drives that that car on the masking tape. And, again, that may not seem more advanced in play to you but if you are if you're a parent but if you're a therapist and you think gosh I'm getting the kid to actually do something new here that he's never done before and stay with it so we're working on his attention span and he's with me and I'm going to get right down you know on that line or I'm going to after we put the first round of tape down I'm going to hold the tape and give him another real functional reason to request more tape so we can get that on the floor and make another line for him to follow. Again, can you see how um, you've expanded his natural interest with cars, but you've given him something new, so you're improving that flexibility piece, and you've certainly you know, given him something to think about when he plays next time. So you know, that's cognition because he has the memory piece in there. So just think about that and that, and again, even if you're a therapist who works in a program where they don't want you to take any materials in, that's something that you might do with family too, like, oh, do you have any tape that we can use? And certainly scotch tape will not work as well because it's not as big and it's not colored. You know, it's clear, so it'll kind of get lost. But any other tape, you know, any other packing tape or, um, you know, I think I know I've mentioned on the show how we're, remodeling that house so we have a lot of blue painters tape laying around that would be a lot of fun so think about including that or if you're working with families you know you can say hey I've got an idea he likes cars so much do you have any tape in your junk drawer let's let me show you something you can do with this but that that's another idea for you the eighth idea is an activity that I think is in my course on on my course on DVD, Steps to Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers. And I think, I know it's in the live version. I think it's in the DVD version too. But one of my favorite car activities is actually a teach activity. And remember that structured teaching. It's a technique that is T-E-A-C-C-H. And you can Google it if that's a new approach for you. But a mom that I worked with now, gosh, five years ago maybe, uh, when I was writing the book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, she, her little guy was on my caseload. And we did a lot of teach activities with him. 
<laughs> excuse me, and she just made this great box. It was uh, just a box. It was not a shoe box. It was a bigger box than that. So something that it it had a lid, and it was attached to um, the box. So it's not a lid that came off. But she did. Some, she made a hole, so a square, a rectangle for the car to go in, and then she velcroed solid color matching cars. So I think she had a black line, a red line, um, and a yellow line. And she Velcroed the cars on there. And then the child's job with this structure teaching activity is to make his car follow the path and then put it in the hole. And so a great early play activity for children who don't really play with cars yet or kids who, again, may have been so stimmy with them that you're thinking, how can I get him to do something else with this car? That idea may work. And so if you don't have that course and you you want to find out more information about that particular activity, I, I also believe that it's on my Pinterest page for Teach Me to Talk. I've not updated that in forever but I sort of remember that activity being on a Pinterest page um, so for Teach Me to Talk. So look back at that if you want to get more specific instructions. All right, here's a more commercial tip or idea for cars, but it's one worth mentioning because here's what happened. When we filmed our DVD, and I think it was the Apraxia DVD, so Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia and Phenological Disorders, I did it in the basement of my church because I wanted a prettier and larger space than the office space I had at that time. And we had other things going on. And so it was just easier and it was, it was you know, and parents could come and congregate and had a big, you know, beautiful hall for them to wait in. And it was a lot different than my office at that time. And that's, again, when we were just sort of starting out the website. And so I... I used the toys or some of the toys for the DVDs and to do um, when we videoed the sessions with children. And one toy that every single kid, and let me just say that sometimes I would line up, you know, my whole darn case, so 20, 25 kids of, you know, even maybe children who had just been discharged. So big variety of children so I could have a, a lot of ages. So I might have rolled, you know, 20, 25 different kids through there for uh, just to have hours and hours and hours of therapy sessions to pick from. But I would I would guess that 95% of those kids not only liked a big transport truck there that held, I would say, 20 cars on each side. Maybe it was less than that. Maybe it was about 10. But, I mean, they loved that toy. Girls wanted to play with it. Boys wanted to play with it. The, again, the younger toddlers liked getting the cars in the little holes and then closing the door. I had a little friend named Cohen. Oh, and I think he's on Teach Me to Listen and Obey 1 and 2. He was so obsessed with that truck that I bought him that for his third birthday. And I actually ended up buying that for my office space, too, because it was such a big hit. So if you are a parent or if you're a therapist that you're thinking, man, I, I've got to have some better go-to ideas with my car play here, that's certainly a toy worth looking at so get yourself a big transport truck like that that holds a lot of different cars now this last idea is for kids who are obsessed with colors who don't usually play with many toys and i've done this a couple of times where i've just gotten a lot of solid color cars and we have sorted those cars by color because we're using that child's activity preference <laughs> you know we're picking out what he likes to do with those colors but then I'm bringing in a play component. And then you can roll the cars. You can crash the cars. You could do all your traditional car ideas that you were just sick to death of. You can do those <laughs> with those kids who've hardly played because that's all brand new to them. So I don't like a lot of color, shapes, letters, and numbers, but I have used it several times with kids, again, as a bridge or a transition activity for kids that I can't really get to play but that they will sort. And so that's, again, another structure teaching activity, but hopefully um, that's given you some new ideas if you're one of those people who has emailed me and needed some uh, 
things to freshen up your car play. All right, that's it for today. I hope that this show helped you, and I certainly hope that if you were that mom who emailed me that you got your answer. And if that's you, hey, email me back and let me know that you heard the show. Thanks so much. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye.